You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow, and we have got a great roundtable lined up for you today. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics that keep you inspired and at your best. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, sharing tools and resources, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. And that's what we're up to today. We have gathered together some incredible change makers to talk about the sacred path to change, the challenges and the opportunities that lie at the intersection of spirituality and the business of change. But before I introduce today's guests, I want to ask a favor. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to and leave a rating and review? It really helps us to share our messages with as many people as we can, and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people too. So thank you. Now, I actually have four guests with us in Roundtable today. We have Orla Scott, the director of Inner Compass, a learning and development company specializing in organizational development and transformational change for teams, leaders, and individuals. We have Dr. Al Spicer, the CEO and founder of Extraordinary Life Incorporated, a boutique executive coaching firm that help senior level leaders eliminate their blind spots, gain insights into their deepest and most challenging questions, and optimize their capacity to lead effectively in a VUCA world. We have William Brown, a business life coach, speaker, and author who is passionate about fostering teamwork and collaboration while encouraging individuals to take on newfound personal ownership in their lives and Nick Warrillow, Chief Technology Officer at Sacred Changemakers. And Nick enjoys playing at the intersection of technology, business, and practical spirituality, all in service of making a difference in our world. So welcome to all of you. And I'm going to start the conversation with Orla, because Orla, you were the inspiration for this roundtable um, with some conversations that we'd kind of had behind the scenes, but also uh, an amazing, insightful video that you put into our Sacred Changemakers membership site. So I'm going to turn this over to you and see what is it that's important to you when we think about the sacred path to change? So thanks, Jane. I feel, my, I, I feel so flattered that you're, you're saying that uh, <laughs> I was the genesis for this. So thank you for that. Um, and I suppose what's really important for me is um, I believe that there's this change coming about. Certainly, this is what I've experienced in organizational life. So if I think back to two or three years ago and the conversations I used to have, with leaders and employees and the sort of conversations I'm having now and the openness to talking about um, the sacred world, to talk about spirituality, I've absolutely seen um, a significant shift. Um, and what's really important for me is to provide a space and to provide permission and in some way provide the language for people to be able to talk about this and you know to be able to talk about it in a non-judgmental way and not feeling that they're going to be seen as being other or you know um different from um you know the person sitting next to them and i've actually been really intrigued that the more open that i am about this um and which can be really tough from a corporate perspective and from an organizational perspective because of that judgment and because the associations that sometimes more traditional frameworks around religion, et cetera, have, um, have made people feel. Um, the more I, I, um, I experience that people are really hungry for this type of discussion and they're, they're hungry to be able to reveal a part of themselves that's been kept 
that's been kept hidden um, for, you know, probably for as long as they've been in organizational life. And I had a, um, a really enlightening experience this morning. So I was with a, a client from a very analytical financial services um, background and dealing with a group of leaders um, around resilience. So it's, it's part of a, an overall leadership program. And one of the conversation points was how resilience is, um, is made up, you know, the, the different energy bundles, physical energy, mental, emotional, um, and spiritual energy. And um, I always, you know, sort of lead the discussion around when I, when I say the word spirituality or when, I, when you see that on the board behind me, what, what does it invoke in you? Um, and what I'm seeing more and more is that, first of all, it's not as people aren't as scared of the word um, as they would have been. And they're very happy to engage in a conversation. But this morning, what I actually heard one of the participants saying, which I was just so refreshed by this was, they actually said, well, we're really talking about our souls, aren't we? Um, and I, I was, I mean, I, I think I might have fainted on the spot if I had been <laughs> facilitating. And it was the first time that I'd actually heard that word spoken from a sort of corporate organizational perspective. And there wasn't, you know, I was expecting sort of a big intake of breath from the rest of the participants, but there was this genuine curiosity around it and a genuine um, sort of openness to discussing it and being, well, it's just part of who we are. And that sense of bringing our full authentic self to, to, to the workplace. Um, and that sense, and I, I, I absolutely, I'm confident about this and I believe this genuinely, that over the next three, five, 10 years, this will become part of the natural order of things, that this bringing our full self and being able to have a conversation around, you know, any sort of sacred space, spirituality, what inspires us, you know, what our purpose is, I think would become quite natural. And I think we can actually see that when we talk about the new generation coming into the workforce, that there, there's more of an openness to talk about this as we begin, I suppose, to look, well, certainly, you know, I live in Ireland, we have somehow lost that spiritual connection through traditional religion. Um, and there is a sort of hunger and a craving to replace it with something that's equally as nourishing. Um, and that's certainly, you know, one of the access points that's, that's been, um, that's become really meaningful for me over the last um, number of years, which I'm really heartened by. Mm. I love that. And it's so encouraging for people to use the word soul inside of an organization. That's incredible. But yeah. I want to kind of go beneath the surface and mm. open this up to the group as well and say, okay, so what are the challenges about, you know, really speaking to the sacred, the spiritual inside of organizations? What's your, what's important to you guys? What's your experience? Well, the, uh, this is Al. Um, my, my, I usually start, my dipping the toe in the water is usually starting to allude to intuition or intuitive hit or your gut feeling. That's sort of how I sort of crack that door with executive leaders. Um, it's a, probably the most neutral ground that's, that starts to veer towards, uh, you know, a deeper discussion. And their response to that is usually my cue to how open they may be to going further with that. And like Orla said, I think there, there is a huge hunger for it out there. And, and I think like we all experience at different levels, um, you know, our comfort with actually bringing it up and putting it in the light in a, in a public forum, especially at the workplace, is, is risky, or at least it's, it's perceived as risky. And I think that's one of the things we're, we're here talking about and a stand for is um, what does it look like to be more bold and more courageous to bring this forth in service of um, you know a deeper richer level of connection and meaning at the in the workplace yeah and i want to pick up on that point you just said there al because there's a whole load of beliefs and assumptions underneath the fact that this is risky like what's that about <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Orla touched on it too, is that you've got formal, you know, organized religion. And I think a lot of people are, are being, you know, less and less enamored with that and disillusioned by it um, for various mm -hmm. reasons, um, unfortunately. And I think that causes people to look for something else or what else, how do I make sense of the disparity or the experience they're having of what, what's, what's honoring their spiritual beliefs within formal religion and what, what may not be. Um, and then looking at how do I talk about something else? It's sort of safe to be, well, I'm a Christian or I'm a Jew or, you know, in a more formal context, it's more comfortable, but then to go beyond that, to speak maybe about your own personal spiritual beliefs that may not fit in traditional religions, then that, that to me becomes still risky today. Yeah. And I totally get it because when I came out with sacred change makers, it was probably the most frightening thing I've ever done in my professional career. I was <clears throat> filled with like so much fear. It was almost like I had this belief that my clients would think I was less than like, because like my MBA, you know, all my master's degree, my business work, my strategy, that stuff that in our culture in the West, we put on a pedestal, the spiritual, the like intuitive, the, the softer side, the more, I don't know, even what words to give it, the more woo woo is like kind of less than in some way. And I thought, you know, maybe people will think I've lost it somewhere. Hmm. And it's interesting because why can't we integrate both? <laughs> That's kind of my thing now. Like, there's a lot of fear around this, so why can't we? Even though, even the phrase "woo-woo" is very derogatory, right? Yes, it's isn't very it? discrediting. Yeah, isn't it? Right. This is, um, and this is William. I, I think the, the the one thing that I that I got, um, you know, from this this conversation is, it's the language, and it's like like you were mentioning, Jane. There, I, um. I felt almost embarrassed to use language like love or heart right. or, or soul within the context of business, you know? Right. So it was, it, it was just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm, 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 I'm saying this, but it's like in that moment that really the, the sacredness of, you know, our, of our lives and of what, what was going on for the people in, in an organization we couldn't just have a conversation about stuff or things or what people were doing. Um, and, but it was that challenge of, of saying that, okay, am I going to say love? <laughs> am I, am I going to, am I going to cross this, this line here? And it was very, very difficult. And, and I, and I think when we look at where our workforce is going to, to be in five to 10 years, you know, with all the technologies that are coming and that are here, um, I think the humanity needs to come to terms with our humanity mm -hmm. and our soul and our and all of those things. And and if we're not talking about it, we are reducing humans to you know just things doing stuff. Um, and we have computers that can do stuff better. Um, and so we're, we're missing really how, um, what our part in the workforce, the human part uh, in, in the workforce. Yeah, and I think that's really true. You know, and you know, I work with a lot of executive coaches and the conversation always at some point when we're talking about their business and their business growth comes back to, this, this idea of how do we bring the humanity back into organizational life? It's like, it's like all of what you were saying at the beginning, it's like we've lost our soul a little bit. Like the soul, what's the soul of the organization? And how does it allow people to bring these, this different language? And I have a nagging suspicion we may need some new terminology for some of this stuff as well. But, you know, how do we do that? And, you know, is it even our responsibility to do that? I don't know. What do you think? It's interesting you were talking, Jane, about, you know, how do you introduce that, this and Al was talking about intuition um, and one of the one of the access points that I introduce is 
is the sense of multiple intelligences mm -hmm. so that we've got so many um you know knowledge sources and intelligent sources open to us that we we don't tap into and you know i absolutely agree with alice you know intuition is 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 one of them that people can relate to and then to sort of to test the water the other um the other thing that i think they respond to and this might be partly ego driven as well is intelligences so how do i get how do i get you know more intelligent in, in general and therefore using all my senses and all of the knowledge that's out there that's available to me and all the universal the universal knowledge um and i do i mean one of the concerns that i would have around this whole area of, of accessing spirituality and just the way the world is at the moment and 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 william in, in one way alluded to it is you know this sense of how do i how do I do spirituality? So rather than it's you sort of channeling it, channeling it and and letting it be part of who I am and being a human, um, you know, I heard a, a great saying the other day that we're we're spiritual beings living in a human world. Um, how do we actually honor that? Um, and how do we ensure that it's not something that we, you know, I have to do. Spirituality becomes another quest. And it becomes mm -hmm. another sort of um, knowledge bank of knowledge that I have to have, and I seek it, and I do it quite uh, aggressively, and I go on all sorts of different courses, etc. And it's this sort of, you know, um, aggressively seeking and gaining knowledge, just so that I can say, you know, I can I can say I have it, rather than actually being present and being human and being authentic and being curious around, well, how can I, how can I access it as a natural part of who I am as a, uh, as a human being? And I do have some concerns that as we begin to get more access points to this, that it may become another commodity that people are, are maybe seeking in a way that doesn't fit with the overall sense of the sacred and um you know the spiritual side of us and the soul side of us and, and that side of things i love that orla that's interesting because it's it's where it becomes like like you said a commodity where really part of the essence of spirituality is in the being and then it becomes an achievement oriented doing process like i've done these courses i went on this meditation retreat i've had you know these kinds of insights and it becomes this egoistic badge of honor or you know, it becomes egoistic. And, and right in that moment, it starts to lose the essence of what it's truly about. I think that's a great, great point. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's really important. And as I was listening to you all, something came up for me, which is kind of an interesting perspective, which is when I think about like change in organizations, inspiring change, I know that safety, personal safety is a big piece of enabling change within organizations particularly sustainable change but then when we look at spirituality and the sacredness and the conversations that that we're talking about here and bringing those into organizational life then we're also saying there's risk involved there's fear involved there so what i'm wondering is how do we like these are two polarities how do we make it safe and do we even want to? Because if we make it safe, do we then commoditize it? <laughs> well, as we know, I think what, you know, the acronym people often refer to with fear is false expectations appearing real. Yeah. I think we're, we're right on the precipice of that point yeah. is, you know, that's, I think, one of the intentions of this dialogue right now is to, you know, mm -hmm. raise awareness and bring it to the fore and recognize that we don't have to be so fearful. Um, you know, it's not necessarily as risky. There's a lot more people who are hungry to have this conversation and there's some who are not. And it's not to say there won't be times I've had this personally where I've sort of veered more deep, deeper into that um, lane with some people and clearly they were not having it. <laughs> and, right. and it's been a little awkward in the moment. And, uh, you know, I sort of uh, got off that highway, took the next exit and we went to a different topic, but but less that's the case I've found than the other, where people are more intrigued or want to learn more, or talk more about it. Yeah. 
I think this is this is William again. I I think some of our I guess our separations from our humanity and our um, our spiritual journey. I'll, I guess I'll speak for myself. Is that I am rejecting someone else's interpretation of what a spiritual journey is, not spirit, not the spiritual. And and I and I and I think the the more that I am able to um, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, as as they say, um, but really em- embrace that other people's approach to spirituality or their understanding of the spiritual or the sacred um, is different, and it comes at a different place than than, than I am. I can be a part of a community or be a part of, you know, a gathering or even bring up that conversation without fear of, of, you know, of maybe my, my understanding of spirituality will get in the way of theirs because I, I never want to kind of derail someone's, you know, understanding of who they are, <laughs> you know, and feel like this is, you know, this is the way um, it, it is. Um, but the only way that I can truly embrace my spiritual journey is to share it, is to, to speak it, is to um, articulate my current understanding so it can be expanded. So it's, you know, it's tough because of different situations and different um, environments. But in some cases for me, it's getting more easier. The more that I not see my humanity and my spirituality as two separate things, but they're, they're together. There are, there, they are one. And my, my spiritual self or my soul is, is me um, and my humanity is my choices. You know, that's how I divide it for my for myself. And it's and it just goes from there. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, William. It really is, because I think that's something that I'm being aware of with sacred change makers. And I don't know sometimes where I feel so passionate about my perspective that I think I'm in danger sometimes of like trying to impose it on other people. And it's kind of a fine line, like kind of dancing around, but always, always, I totally agree with you holding the space for somebody to make their spiritual path their own. Like, what does it mean to you? And so I love the way you express that. It really resonated with me. And I want to invite you, because before we started recording, you talked about holding the space for something that I think is related. So I'd love to invite you to bring that into the conversation now. Yeah, it's, you know, there was a, 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 a large part of my, my life. I, I wouldn't say um, it was a journey because I felt that I was just living. I was just living this um, a life of expectations, expectations of other people had on me and expectations that I had on myself. And I really wasn't in my life. And so when I embraced this journey of discovering um, who I was and, and how I was going to show up in my life and the choices that I had within it, there was this level of enlightenment that I felt like I was awakening to myself. And sometimes in the beginning of that, um, I felt that um, I was judging people for not being aware of themselves, you know, of, of saying that, oh, you sucker, you're, you know, you're living your life of expectations and your life is less, you know, less than. And I, I really got to a, a place where, you know, I was asking myself a, a question is that how do or how does an enlightened person or a person on the journey of enlightenment um, communicate their enlightenment and embrace people that are not yet enlightened. Mm-hmm. And, and really be, because too often there is shame and rejection and, and resignation that this is the life, you know, life is a life of expectation. It's nothing more than that. Um, 
But when you realize that it's more than that and you have a say in what your life is, how can you give people access to that without you know, making them wrong or making them feel less than? And that is, you know, sometimes, you know, it's easy to leave that space, or, but sometimes it's very difficult that you just want to shake people, go, wake up! <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe on that point, just to, to dovetail and to underscore just what you're sharing, I love that, William, um, is um, I'm realizing I want Orla to share her phrase, uh, which <laughs> we'll do. You want to share that, just the phrase, Orla, about the butterfly? I love that. Oh, yeah. Well, this came about in a, in a different context because myself and a colleague were working with um, clients who were finding extremely frustrating, so I can actually very much empathize really with what you were talking about but uh, there was a certain element of banging her head off a brick wall from an organizational perspective um and um you know i came across this this phrase which was the absolute correct phrase that afternoon to explain what the experience that we'd had which was you can't speak butterfly language to caterpillar people um which in in, in this space sounds quite dismissive but it's very much around, you know, what you were talking about, William, that people are at different stages of this development and we have to meet them where they are in the river. Um, and we have to understand that everybody's on a different, you know, maybe even on a completely different path, but they're all at a different level of understanding and getting frustrated with them. Um, it can be counterproductive. And I have been there many, many times of, exactly as you said i can't believe they don't get this um and i just i just thought the phrase was was very enlightening of just being understanding about where people might be in their understanding of uh, of this and being sort of gentle with them and being you know if we talk about loving kindness of being supportive and understanding look at they're, they're just at a different place and that's okay Thanks for sharing that, because that kind of tees up what I wanted to, to point to, which is interesting for me, is um, I love the piece about that with being language. I mean, think of language as you have to know the language, right? You go to a foreign country, you don't know the language, you have to learn the culture, the customs. And um, so two things I've learned. One is um, it's very challenging for me in the spirit of owning that everyone has their belief system. I found I've actually worked with a couple of atheists, devout atheists as clients. And it was extremely difficult for me. And I, it really taught me a lot of how embedded my spiritual beliefs were because, and the level of assumptions that I have based on that, not based on a religious faith, but based on a spiritual premise. And it just didn't fly, like working with the, these atheist people. And so I was trying to translate, how, what's the language to connect effectively with them? And it was very challenging. I've realized it's, it's, I think that's where for me, at least right now, it's, I kind of draw a line. I don't, I'm not very effective working with uh, atheists who are devout atheists. Um, agnostic would be different. Uh, but the other piece, which is funny, I have a newer client um, who's a very successful in the, in the, in uh, the legal field and uh never heard of this, but he's, he's very, very committed to stoicism. And I really didn't know much about stoicism and Marcus, the, the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. And in understanding that I, I did a deep dive and educated myself on it. And there it's interesting. He really doesn't consider himself spiritual, but he's very committed to stoicism. So having to translate that language through the coaching has been an interesting and frankly fun um, growth opportunity because I've learned a lot there and realized there's a lot of crossover in stoicism I've come to know with a lot of the the beliefs and foundational um, you know insights that come from my spiritual faith so bridging that was is it continues to be an interesting journey so all that to just say you know I think when you say you can't speak butterfly language to caterpillar people I think language is a pivot point is what's our language and what's their language and where's the bridge yeah yeah Nick, I want to bring you in at this point, because I'm sure you've got some views about this. I'm just really interested in, in so the first uh, part that Orla was talking about was permission and language. 
and being being uh, in a situation where there's no judgment <clears throat> because it starts to allow us to use the limited language that we have that would is value laden for us but could be totally value laden in a different way for other people um and when we talk about the soul of a business business owners could kind of uh, click into that and they turn around and say yes the soul of a business but when we talk about the soul of a person all of a sudden all of our the, the peer stuff that we've gone through our early life our early development the things that we've experienced in terms of spirituality or organized religion makes that very personal and could possibly uh, butt up against someone else's view <clears throat> um, but it was interesting when William then turned around and said I'm going to speak for myself and I think that's that's a key point is that if we're talking to other people and I start using you know the generics of we and you I'm I'm almost forcing my view onto them mm. and almost asking them to to agree with me whereas if I claim it for myself and and turn around and say this is what I believe in a way I'm modeling the behavior <clears throat> excuse me I'm modeling the behavior of language usage and non-judgment because I'm just bringing that out the fact that I can have a conversation with someone that I'm not defending my point against theirs is also a key point I'm just saying well this is where I believe and I really would like to know what is it that you believe because I'm still I haven't got the answer I'm still searching for the answer and so it's the idea of conversation for me even whether it's personal or in business it's conversation around what is it do I believe and what is it that you believe and where's our common meeting points and you know where do we go from here mm. I love that because it really reminds me of gosh it takes me back to when I was 18 years old and I started my first degree one of the first things that I learned was communication studies and it was about you know, basically there's a, so this is what I learned. There's a sender person and a receiver person. This was back in the 1980s, sender and a receiver. And unless understanding takes place, there is no communication. Right? I remember looking at this and thinking, what, don't you just talk and like people know what you're talking about, right? Cause I was so like naive as an 18 year old. And of course now, you know, and the co in the coaching and the work that I've done, you realize that what you what you say the message that you give out is loaded and i think about you william and that sign that's just over your shoulder i am not my labels because that's what language kind of is in a way it's our shortcut to understanding or it's what we think it is right but this it's loaded with biases and assumptions and like you're saying nick our experiences so our language really limits us, limits our understanding in some ways. And I think in this space, it's key because we don't have a lot of language around this, I'm finding. Whereas I have some clients in the East, and they have a ton of language around this stuff that we don't have. So it's just fascinating to me. That's like, right, the word, you know, love and 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 french right they have like seven yeah. different yeah. versions of love and i think we have two in, in, yeah. in english or something yeah totally yeah there is um there one um big thing because i got the communication um uh the definition in, in the 80s also but i have updated it because that's <laughs> what i do um it is you know now i believe communication happens when there is a brave sender and a prepared and willing receiver. Um, and too often, um, one, the, the sender isn't brave. So, they, you, know, <laughs> so they're, they're, you know, so you don't speak for ourselves, right? You know, right. Um, and, and, or we'll just say something and the receiver is not prepared or willing to hear what we have to say. Mm -hmm. And so you can have that feedback loop you know, of, of understanding. And, and I, and I think within, but before all that happens, we have to have a shared language. Yeah. I can be using words that I 
think means something um, and they mean something totally different to you. So you could be listening to something totally different than what I'm saying. And, right. and we wonder why we're not communicating on the level that makes a difference. Absolutely. And Nick and I went through like culture shock in that stage when we moved from England to America, because we say we speak the English language and it's so different. <laughs> it's so very different. And so I totally get that. And I love the way you say a brave speaker, but then it makes me want to ask you, why do we need to be brave to be ourselves? I think for myself, and that's, and that's a great question. I, I think as I, I mentioned before of sharing your thoughts, of owning your thoughts, of saying, this is what my opinion is. And too often for me, that was a very scary thing to say, this is what I think about this. Right. You, you know, I could speak for, you know, black people. I can speak for, you know, <laughs> men. I could speak for a lot of, uh, you know, different labels as, you know, as I, yeah. as I say. But when I got down to what does William think about this? Right. That's a whole nother, you know, level of bravery and courage to do that. And so that's why I feel that it, there, there is that brave that needs to happen for you to even get, um, get into a conversation with someone. But listening to you there, William, the, the phrase that came up for me was bearing my soul. So mm. even with within like common language usage, <clears throat> we've got these phrases that kind of dip in and out of what we could term as spirituality. So it's it's not it wasn't surprising for me when all turned around and said, as people possibly move away from what they believed spirituality was before with any organization or any any group that they were with, they're looking for some sort of nourishment to fill that space for them. Mm. So it's it, we have a, a common language usage, but then the the idea of the brave sender and the willing receiver is that for me, it's if I bear my soul with someone, is are they going to respect the fact that I did that and and I was just genuinely just sharing, um, or are they going to go onto the attack straight away and mm. kind of try and brow me brow beat me down? to what they believe, because it's not a conversation then, it's just literally, you know, it's adversarial combat. Right. Yeah. And I want to bring Alan and his courageous <laughs> stuff, because I know you have a perspective on this, Al, that I think is really important and links into this conversation. It does. I've been smiling through this whole dialogue <laughs> because I know what I wanted to bring forward today, and, and we're really already talking about it. So maybe this just provides a framework to plug it into um, based on a lot of uh, research on leadership. So I'm a certified practitioner for the Leadership Circle, and it's a fantastic 360 assessment that I use with um, most of my executive leader clients. And um, it's, it's a very sophisticated tool. And what I'll just summarize it by saying what I, what I find so special about it is they've done an incredible job um, looking at what it means to evolve and grow as a human being and how that intersects with all of the leadership competencies and exceptional for exceptional leadership they've put it together into this map very sophisticated map about where you are and your functioning and they've drawn from it's a very multidisciplinary model that includes spirituality and they're very um, open about that um, what's interesting is the number one most desired quality in a leader based on their research is authenticity. So what I thought I would do is just share their definition of authenticity, because I think it, it, it'll pull back, uh, reveal a lot of what we've already been talking about. And then I'm thinking about it in terms of having this dialogue with executive leaders and organizations. And then this to me is the door opening for a deeper, richer conversation which uh, sometimes goes well and sometimes doesn't. Uh, so here's their, their definition of authenticity. Um, authenticity dimension measures your capability to relate to others in an authentic, courageous, and high integrity manner. 
It measures the extent to which your leadership is an expression of your true self, not masked by organizational politics, looking good, winning approval, etc. It also measures your ability to take tough stands, bring up the undiscussables, risky issues, in other words, risky issues the group avoids discussing, openly deal with relationship problems and share personal feelings and vulnerabilities about a situation. Courage in the workplace involves authenticity and directly dealing with risky issues in one-to-one -one and group situations. So that's their definition of authenticity. And I feel like we just have had a whole discussion on that. Um, and it's interesting too, that that's the quality that's most desired in a leader. And they say why that is, is that it, you're perceived as a leader when you come from an authentic stance, that others will follow you. And that from that place, from authenticity, powers given to you by others because you act with integrity. It's not authoritarian, it's not claim based on hierarchy or title, it's given to you by others. So um, that's very compelling to me. And then they have a subset, which is actually courageous authenticity, um, which is in, the, in a similar vein. It, it's really talking about the undiscussables, you know, being willing to what we've been discussing today, put things out there that uh, may be unpopular, controversial, so I just thought that would be a nice context. And really, we've already talked about it. I didn't know where we were going to go today, but I feel like we've had the discussion. Um, but, um, but I guess the, the overlay that we're adding is, so what does that look like, being authentic and the undiscussable of spirituality in the workplace? Yeah. And I think you put that really nicely there, because as you were speaking, I was thinking, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Do we think then that being authentic, being wholly ourselves and being fully expressed, do we think that that is a sacred, are we bearing our soul, as Nick says, when we do that? Is that what this is? It's a great question. And I think that's, um, it's funny, if you think, I'd like to think of many things on a continuum. There's very little black and white. It's really a continuum. So I think that's what we're talking about. There could be the bringing up the controversial topic in, a, in an organizational setting, a controversial decision or something. That's a very different type of quote unquote courageous authenticity versus bringing up a spiritual dimension to a challenge that the group may be facing. Yeah, um, Al, this is... Um something for me because you know my conversation is around labels and and trying to get to the you our, our soul i believe that's what the the you is our um who we are authentically um and i i think other than just being a leader being authentic is being a leader is i i think our soul is drawn to that um authentic authenticity um, and it's no matter what label um, it appears with. And so, you know, the dear friends that I have, the, the stronger relationships that I have is their level of authenticity that they have kind of is in, endearing and, and causes me to be connected to them. And I, and I think as a leader or as, as an executive within an organization, that's what we are, I think in your work, you're encouraging a leader to step up in that because too often, you know, I believe that, you know, that, that leadership label causes people to act, you know, you know, in our leadership role instead of right. being authentic, right? You know? yeah. being, right. being the person that's in yeah. that leadership role. Being a persona, not the right. person, yeah. authentic self. Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. it actually goes, you know, if, if I absolutely um, believe around the you know, authentic leadership, but I think it sort of goes um, down right through the levels and right through the organization that somehow um, we're not allowing anybody to to bring their authentic um, self into the workplace because, and I, I think that that's demonstrated by the dissonance and the distress that certainly I'm witnessing at the moment with with a lot of um, with a lot of individuals that somehow because as, as Nick said they're not getting the opportunity 
to nourish their soul um and therefore they they feel as if well if you know if i say anything about this i'm going to be judged so therefore there there's this big dissonance and and which manifests itself in distress um that and they're not given the opportunity to bring to bring all of them into the workplace and i think one of the things whatever we think about um organized religion and i don't have any i don't have any um organized practice around that was um that at at the very least it provided a reflective space if you wanted to go there so if you if you talk about you know a, a weekly or a regular religious practice it somehow provided that space for reflection and being present and being quiet and being in solitude uh even if we're surrounded by others but being in solitude with ourselves which i think is probably missing from everyday modern life so whatever the doctrine or the dogma around a particular religion was it actually gave a framework for something that's very important to us as human beings as spiritual beings that we have this sense of space and solitude and being present with ourselves that's missing um at the moment and it's this dissonance and distress then is showing up with a lot of individuals not only leaders i want to build on that because for me in my own exploration of my work at the moment i've noticed and, and al you brought up at like a like a tangent like working with people on a different tangent and for me it's not just the self-reflective space that religion brings it's also the connection to something beyond ourselves in a way mm. something that we it gives us something to believe in right mm. Um, and what fascinates me is I've been looking at like my client base and really trying to work out in my private clients, like where, where can I have the most impact really? And I've noticed through my career, I've worked with people who have jobs, right? I've worked with people who have careers. I've worked with people who have a purpose, right? In their work and in their businesses. I've worked with people, I'd even go so far as to say, have an even deeper purpose. And now it's weird. I'm starting to find people who believe they have a calling to mm. sacred work, whether they're in organizational life or they're in their own business. It's like wow. this calling and that relationship with their professional like work or career shifts everything it shifts their relationship with their leadership and what i'm realizing is this space from kind of purpose to sacred i don't know really impacts performance and communication and authenticity and these things at a much much like deeper level and it's fascinating to me how we with our labels as you say william how we define our relationship to the world really yeah i i think uh, and i love how you 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 put the career the job uh, to the purpose to calling i i really believe it is the more that we um be, have a stronger awareness of ourselves the more that we will connect to um, the sacred, the calling mm -hmm. of our life, mm -hmm. um, and 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 I and I and I think sometimes for me, when I would have judgments about things, I I invited uh, my client recently to um, um, consider the phrase um, a judgment-free zone, not as a place of a place where there's no judgment but as a place where judgments are free to go. Um, and so when they come up, they come up, we acknowledge that this is a judgment and we let it go, right? You know, we, 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 we let it move on. And, 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 I, and I think when, when, when we look at our callings and we look at our you know, career and how we show up at work, we come in with that the, the judgment of, you know, if I really see this work as a calling and I share that, 
how will I be seen, <laughs> you, know, you know, in this cubicle? <laughs> how will I be seen in this role? You know, it's like, you know, I have been told in, in my, you know, career, my corporate career, which I didn't understand at the time, but I embrace now that, dude, you take this job a little too seriously, right? You know? <laughs> it's like, it's just a job, right? You know, and it was just like, well, yeah, you know, I'm honored to have this job and I want to do it well. What, you know, why wouldn't I take it seriously? And, you know, but uh, it's, it's that type of, of thing that I, I really think is that, that ownership and that awareness of self that really draws, draws us to the sacred that, that really allows us to show up as fully as we understand. I love this. I have two things bubbling up I just want to throw out there. One is, it's interesting, just a fleeting thought was, is the you know, sort of the, the stress and, and how hectic the workplace is today, just the VUCA world, um, does that keep us more attached to our purpose and distract us from getting to our calling? Hmm. And then the other, which I love what you shared, William, is uh, it is. It's, it's, I love the judgment-free zone. And then I'm realizing, too, as we're having this discussion, I feel so grounded and clear. And I just I love being with all of you. And this is a fantastic conversation. I'm really enjoying it. But then I was thinking, too, of moments in the last day. Yesterday, in particular, was a very busy day. Um, when a busy, stressed, pressure, deadlines um the pull there to where does you know it's easier for me to judge quickly and needed to screen stimuli and make quick decisions and and it's so quick to to it's more elusive then to stay connected with my calling and even my purpose at times and then i love what you said earlier orla too about you know it is about finding those places of peace and solitude which it could be meditation could be walks in nature but um, getting grounded from that place, and yet our our world today is so demanding and so distracting that it takes another level of of um, commitment and discipline to to really own that part of ourselves if we're not careful. The interesting thing is that. Um... We're talking about reacting possibly to outside stimuli. And the thing for me is that if I've done amount of the inner work, then the quick judgment isn't necessarily so, so bad. Because if, if we think of, you know, virtuosos, if we think of people that are very, very good at what they do, they've put the time in, they've practiced. When they make a decision or when they do something within their uh, skill set, that they they're not relying on on they're relying on almost like an intuition of of what kind of works the difficulty comes when people haven't done the inner work and they're therefore reacting to to something without a base knowledge of what they truly believe they haven't questioned stuff they may have just heard stuff and they're just repeating it but the person that's done the inner work i just think comes from a a an easier place for them to, to make quick decisions or stuff. Um, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky situation if you haven't done the, the, the work. It's a great point. I think about a training that we do that, that really breaks down, looks at the distinctions of ego versus essence. And you're right, doing that inner work, it gets you more grounded to be coming from a core sense of self, even when things are hectic or busy or stressful or controversial. Um, yeah, I recently went through this in a situation, a very political situation in an organization I'm part of, and it was just fascinating to watch some people really move to the fray. And, and I think genuinely their, their reputations were tarnished for a long time because in the intensity of what was going down, some people made some very poor choices, very poor comments, sort of lost their way in the storm while other people may have been a little not less like themselves, but still were anchored in their integrity and their essence despite the storm. And I think that I'm thinking that that example as you're sharing that, it's a really good point is who's done their inner work so that they can withstand the storm and they don't get blown down. Yeah. And I, I think that ties in with what William was saying about 
you know, us really knowing ourselves, taking responsibility for ourselves and thereby doing the inner work and really being in a position that's, for me, a word I would use is like grounded, even when everything's chaotic around. There's times where, just like you were saying, Ola, you know, I, I need to just pause for a minute. I just need to gather myself <laughs> back and, and, and I can feel myself getting scattered and fragmented in the chaos because life is complex today, especially in business. And then it's just like, okay, I need to come back to center, which is a practice that I do to reconnect really at that deeper level. Otherwise, who knows what the hell I will do, right? Because I'll just be off reacting to things. And that's, for me, I know that's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> and we can all do that. When I was in, I was in Santa Fe recently, met this gorgeous family and um, the kids, they're in their early twenties. And they were saying to me like, are you a duck? Are you a dolphin? Or are you a whale? Right. And I was like, well, I don't know. And they're like, okay, well, we'll tell you in a, in a, you know, we'll talk and we'll tell you. And they're like, you're a whale, Jane. And I was like, okay, like, what's that mean? And they're like, well, ducks are on the surface of life, right? And they usually look very good above the water, but below the water, their feet are going like 10 to the dozen. And so it's all about how they look and they, they, they can look very elegant, just like a swan. They can look like very elegant. And then there's the dolphins that go up and come down and go up and come down, which I think we're all pulled to in life. We have to go to the stuff of life, right? In relationships, in life, in business. And then we, we go down, we deep dive. And then the whales, what I loved about how they described the whales was, it's not just that the whales deep dive, but that when the whales do deep dive, they take other little organisms and fishes with them deeper than those little organisms and fishes could go by themselves. And I thought, that's really interesting because for me, if I speak energetically in our presence, when we have done the work, when we are able to show up more authentic, more whole, and we are able to bring our courage into any kind of space or relationship, I think that just that very presence opens people. I think it does. I don't think we even need to say any words. I think just the presence, the energetic presence that we show up with opens people. I love that. I love that story. I remember it's, that's just fantastic. It's, it's such a great paradigm to think about it. Yeah. And it. What occurs to me too is, is for those of us in the coaching profession, um, I think that's a big part of what we're wanting to do. Not necessarily spirituality per se, although I think, I know clients I work with, it certainly is on the yeah. agenda at some level, assuming they're not atheists. <laughs> um, but, um, but I think that's, that's true. Isn't that what coaching is? It's about helping to people go deeper, wider, find their purpose, align with what their true calling is, or what I like to say their unique thumbprint is in the world and, and getting aligned around that. And that's, there is a whale, dolphin, whale-like quality or a whale-like quality of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, I want to bring this to a close because it's been such a fantastic conversation. I've got lots of insights from talking to all of you, and I hope our listeners have too. But just before I bring this to a close, I'd love to ask each of you just to, you know, think about our listeners here. They could be anything from people in the professional change profession industry, from coaches, speakers, authors, consultants, therapists, healers, right the way through to leaders and business executives or people working within organizations like what is it you want to say to our listeners what words of wisdom do you have just to kind of bring us to completion I'm going to ask you each one by one just for something some nugget of wisdom whoever wants to go first um I'll go first oh sorry um no, I just, when we were talking about the authenticity and I've been reading um, a book, Anam Cara, so, um, and it's by the late, great um, John O'Donoghue, but he just says something really profound that we talk about presence and, and authenticity and being our full selves. Um, and he talks about it on our quote here. Imagine how lovely it would be if you could be yourself at work and express your true nature 
giftedness and imagination. There need be no separation between your home, your private life and your actual world of work. One could flow into the other in a creative and mutually enriching way. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of the search that we have is for that way of being and showing up. Um, and it, they're not mutually exclusive. And sometimes I think we try to, to separate the two and that's what causes us the, the, the dissonance and the distress. And it's also when we talk about creativity and imagination and innovation, what organizations are questing for as well and perhaps going about it in a, um, in a completely different way when actually what we need to do as humans is right underneath our nose. Uh, if we if we did but know it you know so that's what sort of essence and presence and spirituality and the sacred means to me is just being that full authentic and whole person i think a simple one for me that i'm sure many people have heard um one of my favorite philosophers spiritual guides if you will is lao tzu so um the quote that to know and not do is not to know and, um, you know, this conversation today, frankly, I've been taking my notes over here on the side. It's been so fabulous. Um, lots of insights. Um, but I'm, I'm finding that's been surfacing for me a lot more recently. And I've, I've been, it's been a part of my thinking for many years when I first saw it years ago. But it is so true is there's a lot that I know that I'm aware of that I don't always practice and um, recognizing that it really is a completely different level of understanding and commitment. I think we've touched on that today. I even think about what Will, William was sharing in terms of we're not our labels and the risk of even spirituality becoming a label, like, oh, I do these things and it becomes egoistic or a badge of honor. But that knowing that spirituality is important and actually being spirituality, um, but not practicing it is a completely different conversation. So you know, to know and not do is not to know is an important reminder I always use in my daily life. Hopefully that's yeah. valuable for others. Yeah. And for me, um, I'm going to be looking at um, my life and my business. The whole thing is I don't separate it out. It's all about the permission for me to be authentic, authentic in my thinking, you know, authentic in my expression. But I've also got to look at the side of um, what, what is it that I'm doing that allows someone else to be uh, authentic in their expression? So am I fostering authenticity with my permission in order to understand other people? Or is it that in some way I'm contributing to the, to the idea that we're, we only talk about the good stuff? We don't talk about the hard stuff. Mm. And I know that William has had to leave us. So I'm going to share something that I know that William and I both share as a quote that we both love, which is a Rumi quote, which is out beyond the field of right doing and wrong doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. <laughs> and I've talked to William extensively about this quote because it is about realizing that you know, we may be set in our own perspectives, our own beliefs, but there is another place we can both go to where we're not attached to our personas, our beliefs, our labels, and we can open up a different type of conversation. And I think that's what we've done here today. And I want to thank each of you for your contribution because it's just been amazing. It's been amazing soul food for me. Um, but I also hope that for all of you listening we've really opened up the sacred path to change as a possibility for each of you um, and you know i hope that we've expanded your perspective just a little bit on that and i just want to thank each of you so grateful for each of you coming onto the round table today and just a grateful soul deep bow to you all so thank you thank you jane for hosting this um, it's been an amazing conversation well, what did you think? Remember that the purpose of a podcast like this is not just to make you think. It's actually to get you to take some action. Yes, this means you need to do something differently to get a result in your life or your business. So before you turn this off and get back to your day, 
take a moment and write down two or three key things, action items, things that you can implement today that will make a meaningful and perhaps a sacred difference. Knowledge is not power, it's only potential power. What truly makes an impact is implementation. So ask yourself, what is it that you feel inspired to do after today's roundtable conversation? And if you would enjoy being in a supportive community to accelerate your growth personally and professionally, whilst also becoming a force for good in the world, then we invite you to check out Changemakers Society, our sacred community where changemakers from all over the world come together to help shape a better future for us all. You can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye for now.